0: To begin, I'd like to read a bit from the French political scientist Alexis de Tocqueville who toured the United States back in 1831. Quote, in America, I saw the freest and most enlightened people placed in the happiest circumstances that the world affords. Yet it seemed to me as if a cloud habitually hung upon their brows and I thought them serious and almost sad even in their pleasures. In the United States, people build houses in which to spend their old age and they sell them before the roof is on. They plant gardens and sublet them just as the trees are coming into bearing. They bring fields into tillage and leave others to gather the crops. They embrace a profession and give it up. They settle in a place which they soon afterwards leave to carry their changeable longings elsewhere. They who have set their hearts exclusively upon the pursuit of worldly welfare are always in a hurry, for they have but a limited time at their disposal to reach, to grasp, and to enjoy it. End quote. I, I grew up in the southern part of Illinois near the confluence of the Wabash the Ohio and the Mississippi Rivers, as they meet there at the southern tip of Illinois. The southern part of Illinois has long been known as Little Egypt, the exact reason for that name being lost to time. Most likely, given the biblical bent of the European invaders into that region, the name is a reference to the story of Joseph in Egypt in Hebrew scripture quote, all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was so sore in all the lands, end quote. The Southern part of the state was settled much earlier than the Northern part. And apparently in the early 1800s, there was a drought in central Illinois that sent residents there seeking grain in the South. Farming is still the, the dominant way of life in little Egypt. Uh, Some of you know that two of my kids live on the farm that's been in our family since 1842. We were the first Europeans to own the land there, deep in violent roots, marginal farmland, poor farmers. That's the region. Until I moved away to college and never returned, the family had avoided Alexis de Tocqueville's assessment of Americans Quote, they settle in a place which they soon afterwards leave to carry their changeable longings elsewhere, end quote. Farming is about extreme risk and, at best, very meager rewards. The taxes on the land never stop, but the income on the land often stops. Floods that inundate the surrounding roads, snows that trap residents for days at a time, thunderstorms, tornadoes, droughts. Farmers today, as farmers always have, live with extreme uncertainty and risk. Except now, due to climate change, the uncertainty and risk are even more extreme. As a consequence of constantly facing disaster, farmers have a lot of wisdom to give when it comes to living with uncertainty and very little in the way of hope, yet finding the gumption to go on. When I was young, I would go with my grandfather when he went to visit his farmer friends. All of them were subsistence farmers with almost nothing to their names. Instead of saying goodbye, many of them would shout, don't eat your seed corn. Don't eat your seed corn. It was an acknowledgment that though times might be bad, there's always hope if you can somehow manage to hang on. One of the most popular parables in Christian scripture goes like this. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold, end quote. One kernel of corn yields a stalk that usually has one ear of corn. An ear of corn has anywhere from 500 to 1,000 kernels of corn. Investing one, to get 500 or 1,000? Well, that's the magic when agriculture works. It's what keeps farmers hoping. And one skill I learned as a kid that I will most likely never use again is what's called broadcasting. Uh, We did it exactly like the people have been doing it for thousands of years. You reach into a bag, pull out a handful of seed, and with a practiced arm motion in an arc, And just the correct positioning of the fingers, you send the corn evenly out across an area. The parable of the sower makes immediate sense when you've sowed seed for hours and then watched those seeds sprout. It's all about the seed that falls on the good ground. That's where the potential of agricultural magic occurs. That can't happen if you've eaten your seed corn during the winter. It isn't only seed corn that has to be saved. No matter how long the winter and how lean the pickings get, you got to not eat all of your potatoes because you've got to have those potato eyes to plant in the spring. If you eat your last chicken, no more eggs and so on. That's a valuable life lesson that farmers learn early. I know we have some master gardeners at FUS in the congregation who know a lot more about growing things than I do. I've only got some folk wisdom that I learned a long time ago. You know, nine, ten, big fat hen, eleven, twelve, dig and delve. Now, some of you are using heirloom seeds and plants, which is a very good idea. Did you know that the genetic diversity of agricultural plants has dropped by 75% since the Second World War? 75%. Genetic diversity is disappearing. There's native uh, there's a Native Resources Preservation Group in St. Paul. You're going to be hearing more about that on Earth Day. There are now seed repositories around the nation and around the world attempting to preserve some kind of what's left of genetic diversity. There's a facility in Fort Collins, Colorado called the National Center for Genetic Resources Preservation. Internationally, there's the largest facility at Svalbard Global Seedball, opened in 2008 by the Norwegian government. Well, why bother? The lack of genetic diversity means extreme vulnerability to disease. As with the Irish potato famine, mono agriculture can lead to disaster. For example, sticking with corn, you know, there's no such thing as wild corn. Corn has been created by human beings through genetic modification. Genetic modification that goes back in Mexico, something like 10,000 years. And then that grain spread across the Caribbean, Central, South and North America, and corn was one of the things that Columbus took back to Europe. Now, corn covers the earth. There are 59 varieties of corn in Mexico. In the US, we have six. In Mexico, those 59 varieties can only be raised in very isolated mountainous areas because the air in North, South, and Central America is filled with industrialized corn pollen. Some form of corn is in 75% of the products sold in American grocery stores. Almost every animal in the American diet is fed with corn. It's in steak, it's in milk, it's in cheese, it's in jello, it's in leather goods. Then there's one of the crowning human stupidities of all high fructose corn syrup. U.S. corn is sent by the train load to Mexico, processed and sent back by the tanker car load. The average American consumes almost 40 pounds of corn syrup every year, leading to heart disease, type two diabetes and obesity especially among the poorest Americans. We've all heard uh, the old adage that you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. That sounds like common sense, and it even maybe sounds like uh, sound advice. But the British philosopher John Gray adds, you can break millions of eggs and still not have a single omelet you can break millions of eggs and still not have a single omelet. That's the part that the notion of endless growth in capitalism gets so tragically wrong. We are so often told, and so many of us believe that merely breaking more eggs is somehow creating omelets burning the rainforest, drilling in environmentally sensitive areas, building more pipelines for more fossil fuels, somehow magically all those broken eggs will surely become an omelet. Well, they don't necessarily, it's a lie. As we sit in the ruins of the Anthropocene, we look out on climate change, deforestation, toxic air, all the broken eggs, the omelet appeared for a few, but not for most people, and not for long. As Alexis de Tocqueville phrased it, they who have set their hearts exclusively upon the pursuit of worldly welfare are always in a hurry, for they have but a limited time at their disposal to reach, to grasp, and to enjoy it. You may have heard of the uh, man purported to be the world's greatest salesman. His name was Elmer Wheeler. He was popularly known as Mr. Sizzle, as in, don't sell the steak, sell the sizzle. And one of Elmer Wheeler's examples concerning selling was about eggs, speaking of which. At soda fountains back in the 1930s and 40s, you could buy a malted milk that was made just for you most salespeople behind the counter would ask, do you want an egg with that? That's what we call upselling, of course. Uh, You want to make that a meal? Sometimes the answer was yes to the egg, and sometimes the answer was no. Mr. Sizzle recommended that the more profitable question is, do you want one egg with that or two? The no egg option has gone away suddenly, hasn't it? In the question, it's much more difficult for the consumer to say, I don't want an egg. That's good sales practice, but it's bad for the planet. Think for a moment about Elmer Wheeler's catchphrase, don't sell the steak, sell the sizzle. It's an exhortation to sell the ephemeral, not the substance, to sell the appearance, not the nutrition sell that shiny plastic packaging, not the mundane mass-produced object inside. We sit in the ruins of the Anthropocene, and we see all of these broken eggs. And that omelet only appeared for a very few people. As often happened, Alexis de Tocqueville, back in 1831, nailed the American character when he wrote, quote, in America, I saw the freest and most enlightened people placed in the happiest circumstances that the world affords. Yet it seemed to me as if a cloud habitually hung upon their brows and I thought them serious and almost sad, even in their pleasures. Serious and almost sad, even in their pleasures. For too long, Americans have taken our changeable longings elsewhere, and we have a rootless existence, and that has consequences. All of us know somewhere in our psyches, in our hearts, we know that all those eggs broken haven't made many omelets, have they? We know that one egg or two is no choice at all. Like the biblical character Job, we sit in our ruins, scratching our scabs with broken pieces of pottery. But as spring returns for another year, as Phil mentioned, as Lisa mentioned, seeing that lie is the first step toward truth. And we join in our Earth Day celebrations this coming uh, April 18th, and we will be talking about how we can still save ourselves. Yeah, there's work to do but there is still time, I think. We have survived the winter, it's spring coming, and we have not yet eaten all of our seed corn. Hear that wisdom of those old farmers when I was a kid. Don't eat your seed corn. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.